the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Monday, and Ian and I are back together after a week apart. Excited for today's show. This is The Common Good. Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm. Welcome back, Brian. It is good to be back together. Is is it? It's good to be back together. Oh, okay. I spoke too soon. I don't know that it is good to be back. (laughs) In in general. (laughs) In general. For those of you listening, Brian still loves you. He just loves Mexico more. I had to tell my kids that over and over again last week. Uh, Yeah, so uh, for those of you who were not aware, I was away all of last week and uh, spending my uh, celebrating my 20th wedding anniversary at an all-inclusive resort in Riviera Maya, Mexico. And man, I got to tell you, it doesn't get any better than that. <laughs> I mean, you were telling us a little bit. It sounded picture perfect. It, all right. Before I get into it, let me say thank you to you. People might not know this, but when one of us goes away, uh, it makes the other one's job more difficult. Nah, uh, and nah. so thanks. I actually listened to a bunch of what you did. Not while I was there. When I came back. Okay, good. And uh, really fascinating guests you had on last week. Yeah, man. There was some. There was some really, really, just like you said before you left, just some smart interesting people i'm really grateful for the friends that came in took some time out of their day yeah and and uh as i was away and i'd look on facebook <clears throat> and i'd be like i gotta get back i'm gonna lose my chair here <laughs> i feel like you say that every time you leave because i feel it every time i leave <laughs> yeah, that's fair uh but so thank you for those people who sat in yes. as well uh but yeah man it was um if you've never been to an all-inclusive resort and you and i were talking about this off air it was uh, a couple things. A, you, you know you've already paid for everything, but it feels like everything's free. So you're eating all the food you want, all the drink. Right. Uh, we got out. You might remember last Friday it snowed really hard. Our flight was at 7 a.m. Saturday morning. <laughs> right, a little right. bit of stress right. uh, for me. <laughs> but we got out perfectly on time. Uh, everything <clears throat> went uh, – you can tell I can't talk anymore. <laughs> Everything went perfectly. Like I, you know, you know, we've been joking about it yeah, for months, but right. I've been holding on for this trip because uh-huh. after twenty years, a trip my wife and I've never really done before, and uh, we got away. The kids had a blast while we were gone, which is always fun, and uh, it was just everything about the trip was perfect. Like. This day last week, we were out snorkeling and then <laughs> swimming and, and having all the food and drink. We like All stuff that you're like, what? What's going on? And like we said, people would come and wait on you, give you every drink you want, every food you want. And you know you've paid for it, but it doesn't feel like it. Right, right. Uh, weather was perfect. And uh, I jokingly told my wife, I said, I'm glad after 20 years we could spend five whole days together, 24 hours a day, and really enjoy every yeah, minute of it. Right, right. So, <laughs> I'm uh, sure the environment and atmosphere kind of helps bolster helps. that too a bit, right? <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes. Coming back. Reentry has been no joke. <laughs> Culture shock. Reentry has been no joke. But it, it was a reminder for me, and, and I wanted to just kind of bring this up. It was a reminder for me that one of the last conversations my wife and I had on our trip, because it is. So the last night, our kids for Christmas bought us 
for an extra charge, a romantic dinner. It was called On the Beach by ourselves getting away. It was unreal. Oh, awesome. You're sitting on the beach. Like, they got this tent around you, but you're overlooking the water. That's amazing. And they're, they're, you've got your own way. It was crazy. It was just so many moments where you're like, what? <laughs> How am I living what? this? Yeah. <laughs> See, I'm like, I'm my old Joel Osteen best life now, right now. Oh, gosh. <laughs> First segment back. You just having we're, we're going full Osteen already. <laughs> so oh, first boy. segment, in. Uh, but <laughs> we did have the conversation like, you know, when you're in this intense environment like this, where it's just you and your spouse, and uh, all you have to worry about is like just enjoying each other's company. Yeah, right. Whether it's laying by a pool, laying by the beach. In the one of my favorite parts was just going. They meant multiple restaurants at the resort, and so it's like going out on a date every night yeah, for that's every awesome. meal. That's awesome. And you're just sitting there talking, and you don't have to go get home for the babysitter. This stay there as long as you want. Right, go right. Go for a walk. Like it's, it's like this really intense time of all like the dates you wish you could have had all year that now right. you're just doing right here. And so we did have the talk of like. How do we? How do we? In some way, <clears throat> we can never replicate this right. at home, although we'd like to. <laughs> like, right, right. Kids, please wait on us. Hand right. and foot. Uh, but how do you still replicate? Because it's so easy to become like roommates, right? To become distant in your marriage because of just how crazy life is, right? right. Like, and that's what I appreciate about this trip more than the beautiful colors and the beautiful weather. And now we're in gray and cold and. But it was just that intense, like, hey, we're together. It's just about us. And so, I don't know. I, I did want to have that thought a little bit about, like, how do you um, how do you replicate that? How do you – maybe here for Pastor Ian, how do you tell even couples as they start having kids and life gets crazy, how do you stay connected when you can't spend every day? Right. I wouldn't mind it at an all-inclusive resort in Mexico or <laughs> – even in Chicago on a date, like, like how do you strike that balance so you don't become distant from your spouse? Well, you know, I'm three years into marriage, so I think I'm the perfect person to ask. <laughs> all pastors know When all it comes answers. to, yeah, keeping the flame alive mm-hmm. and uh, romance through parenthood and schedules and all that. I yep. actually listened to a really interesting <clears throat> podcast a couple days ago, and they're referencing this article, The 36 Questions That Lead to Love. It's a little cheesy, um, but it's these 36 questions that, I mean, literally like scientists have helped put together this list. And the whole premise is um, sit and actually ask these 36 questions of someone, regardless of who it is. It was written for single people. Okay. Um, you're guaranteed to fall in love or something like that. There's something about the nature of the it's questions. Like a test. <laughs> well, kind of. But the woman that was hosting it, she tells a story about someone randomly at a bar uh, asking her if I could buy you a drink and then reference these 36 questions. And she's like, ah, sure. Ends up burying this guy. And she's like, listen, I know this sounds like some hocus pocus. And some of it is just sort Wild. of like the romance of the story. But I went through the list. None of them are extraordinary, but all of them are really intentional. And I thought about even just coming through this list, you know, sort of anecdotally thinking, there's a lot of these questions I, I don't know that I've ever asked my wife. I don't know that we've ever actually talked about. And I think that's... Part that's of interesting. It. Obviously, you can't always hang out at a beach and be waited on hand and foot. But yeah. the intentionality piece is always – that's always within our power. And I think the problem is we just – life sort of chokes out some of that intentionality. That's not an excuse. Nope. But, you know, we're changing diapers or we're running kids to practice mm-hmm. or we're just tired. And it's sort of like, um, you know, sometimes the, the wallpaper in that room – you. you like Dallas Willard said, familiarity breeds unfamiliarity. Sometimes you can become so oh, familiar yeah. with something that you become unfamiliar because it's just in the background. Unfortunately, I think a lot of people do that with their marriages. Either way, I think it's worth Googling this list. It's the really 30, good. The 36 questions that lead to love. And the next time you know you and your spouse have a chance to grab coffee or dinner, 
just comb through them. Like they're really interesting. I think you'll be, you'll be surprised at like just the level of uh, of depth that you can get to just by asking good questions. <laughs> yeah, I think intentionality is such an important thing. I, I was also struck on our trip just how much we laughed, and that was one of our conversations. Awesome. Like. Man, we got we got to make sure that there's room for laughter. Yeah, in right. the midst of the business, we knew we were going home and life was going to get crazy <laughs> right, again. Right. Like you were naive we were to that. Fully aware that we were in an right. idyllic situation. Right. But how do you take that and, and go? You know what? We're still going to laugh. And we had many. It, it just lended itself because there was time for it to some deep conversations, not only about life but also about like where do we want to be in That's X great. number of years? Where do we want to be? Like that was part part of the point of this trip. Right. And so between laughter and intentionality, like you bring up and asking those questions and looking ahead like we came home going we've got to be able to replicate even a slice of this right in our everyday marriage uh because you can't hold on to maybe five years from now when we can do a trip like this right. again like if that's the goal uh then then we're in trouble but so many of us when we get married and then kids and then life and 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 just that rat race you just end up going oh yeah i gotta have a roommate i think like right, who is this person right. that i married and so that was the best part of the trip for me i think that's right the, the 80 degrees and sunny every day didn't <laughs> hurt either and uh the free drinks and uh food as much as we could get also right. was a good time see and i think that i think there is a bigger conversation here too because i think we we are the habits we keep this is why i think yeah. things like habit and ritual and liturgy are so important because like you said we do this with our spiritual life too like oh i just gotta mm-hmm. hang on till my next conference my next yes. spiritual high there's things that we build into uh our week and our rhythms uh common rule of life like that kind yeah. of stuff all of us can do that and it may maybe isn't as glamorous but saying hey every thursday is date night rain or shine yes like we're putting the phone down we're closing the laptop and we're just spending time together i think that's easier said than done, yes, obviously, but I think it's really important. So it was a fabulous week. I'm grateful for you for taking care, uh, My pleasure. Taking care of stuff here. It is good to be back uh, despite the gray outside and the cold. It is good to be back. Well, coming up next, we're going to take kind of a hard right turn uh, talk about just kind of our reactions to just that, that the, the Kobe Bryant story that took place yesterday that was just all over the news. And I know for myself, I was kind of obsessed with it yesterday, so I want to have a conversation about mm-hmm. that next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm. Uh, thank you for joining us today. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. You can find us online, 1160hope.com, Twitter, at Common Good Talk, and you can find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Go ahead, subscribe, rate, review. Uh, I was, uh, we mentioned it last segment, but you had some unbelievable guests all through last week. So I get back on that podcast and you can listen back on those, some really quality guests. And and I would encourage you, uh, to go listen to them on the podcast. That's the beauty of the podcast. Go back and listen to what was there. Well, I, yeah, it kind of blew me away. There was a moment, a couple moments throughout the week where it just sort of struck me like what a gift it is to have friends like this that are in town that are doing the work that they're doing. Like I, it, it just felt, um, Sounds hokey. I just felt very grateful, not only for their time, but like, man, oh, man, there was just so much wisdom. I kind of wanted to, like, cut my mic, and I was like, you just talk. Just keep going. You just say stuff. <laughs> Don't let me interrupt. Just yeah. keep sharing. with. Like, that was, uh, yeah, that was really fun. That's awesome. You can but, find that at the podcast. But we did miss you. I'm glad you're back. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so yesterday... Uh, uh, it felt like one of those moments. I don't know how you felt when I, I was looking on Twitter and saw the Kobe Bryant news, and it literally felt like one of those cultural moments that you'll always remember where you were. 
Yeah. At least right. felt like that for me. Like yep. looking back at my childhood, I knew exactly where I can remember the Challenger explosion or 9-11, obviously, right. or some other stuff. Right. Uh, Princess Diana, uh, those types of ones. <clears throat> for me, yesterday when I saw the Kobe Bryant news, I immediately just said to my wife, oh, my goodness, Kobe Bryant, there's a report that he died in a, in a helicopter crash. Right. And she was like, what? And, and all of a sudden, you just, that's the Twitter now, right? I was just on Twitter all day. Right. And I was just obsessed watching stuff yesterday, just watching the retrospectives. Uh, and then, you know, when, when it came out that his daughter was on that yeah. airplane, Gosh. and now it comes out that other families with their daughters go uh-huh. into this uh, youth to basketball practice, right? game, youth yeah. basketball game that Kobe was the coach. Mm. Uh, it, it, it was so heavy. And uh, so I guess before we jump into it, I'm curious, what was just your experience as you were finding out the news about the, the helicopter crash that took Kobe Bryant and eight others yesterday? You know, it was, it was interesting because I'm not uh, that big of a basketball fan in mm-hmm. general. So it, it was actually sort of surprising even just to myself how much it hit me because he's, I mean, he was 41. Yep, yep. Um, it was kind of one of those, oh my gosh. And I, <clears throat> excuse me, I, I first saw it on TMZ and I was like, mm. Exactly. People are like, I hope this isn't true. All right. I saw it right away. I don't know how I, I just happened to look at my phone right away and I searched it and no one else had been reporting it. I was like, oh, this is just one of those, yeah. you know, every couple of months they do it. Was, and then I searched a little deeper and then waited a little longer yeah. and I was like, oh my gosh. And it was really strange because, and again, maybe we'll get into this, you know, we posted it on the Facebook page. And some people are like, you know, <clears throat> other people also die. Mm-hmm. Like there's, there is sort of this tension sometimes, like, why are we only mourning the celebrity? Right, Which, right, right. you know, there is some validity to that. And there is a, another part of my heart that thinks, oh, man, the, any loss of life is tragic. Yes. And I think particularly for the Christ follower, we should, we should mourn that. But it was also kind of strange because it wasn't like I didn't particularly follow him. So now I'm like looking at all these tributes and, you know, LeBron James had posted a couple of things that were just heart-wrenching. And the mm-hmm. people were posting these montages and then... You know the Raptors game having the the twenty four second clock run out. And all. It was really it was a moment exactly like what you were saying. I'll I'll never forget never yesterday where I was and how that went down and the impact that someone like that did have and could have even for someone like me who isn't particularly a basketball fan. Right. I was like, oh my god, this is bigger <clears throat> than than just a a sports fans kind of news. That and, was the crazy thing about it. it. It really you start to feel like he just was. He transcended basketball. Yeah, like, right. Uh, it was a big part of the Grammys last night, which was a really weird right. juxtaposition because it was in the Staples Center, right, where his jersey hangs. They uh-huh. they lit up the jerseys, uh, and Alicia Keys gave that whole real good, uh, right? real, yeah. And um, you know, it, around the world, people, different athletes, different. I don't know if you saw the clip of Tiger Woods finding out when uh-huh. he was walking off the green. Yeah, LeBron James getting off the plane, just crying. Like uh-huh. it was just. The depth of what what it it um, the, just the loss of a Kobe Bryant. I know he's basically the same age as me, so I'm 42. He's 41. Right. And I uh, this is a funny story. One time when I was younger, I was I am still, but I back when I was in high school and college, I was a huge basketball fan, NBA fan. Mm. And I went, me and a buddy went to the NBA draft one year. Hmm. Just just a strange event, but it was really fun. It was the year he got drafted. And I remember reading a ton. Oh, no kidding. High school kid, Kobe Bryant. I was a freshman in college. Wow. And so, yeah, his prime was just kind of like we're kind of the same age. And now to see all the retrospectives about how he was reinventing. There was the second act of his life. He won an Oscar last year. Uh Right. Um, But really the heart-wrenching one is like he had really begun pouring into. Because he, Kobe famously... 
had had a criminal charge against him while uh-huh. he played. Right. Uh, but now he had come to the point where he he appears to have been such a family guy. Right. And that was so much of who he was, and especially with his daughter Gigi, who also uh, died in this helicopter crash. That she was like this budding basketball yeah. kind of prodigy that he was like super proud and training and right, right. Uh, it was just heartbreaking and, and like you said there's a baseball coach on there with his family there's another mom with her daughter and it's just um it was just so overwhelming and and it, the overwhelming thing for me was that it was Kobe Bryant the heartbreaking thing then becomes the kids and you're yeah, like oh my right, gosh right. you have got to be kidding me and uh, I think a lot of people, and we'll get into this, I think a lot of people, it just left them wrestling with, I, I heard in the news so many times when they interviewed people, the word senseless yeah. or pointless or this and that. And there is something underlying that where people are like, wait, he's got his whole life and the girls have their whole lives in front right, of them. Right, right. Man, the pointless, the senseless nature of just you're in a helicopter going and it crashes and you're dead. And yeah, right. Uh, they're, they're, it was interesting to see people really wrestling with that. Yeah, did you did you see the Demi Lovato song Mm-mm. during the? Yeah, she sang it's her first performance in a while, and it was I saw people posting about it, and someone someone I think it might have been Dr. Marsha Vaughn who's been on the show here a couple of times. Uh, she said, "Oh my goodness, a, a psalm of lament at the Grammys oh. is such a profound moment," and like Demi Lovato could could barely get through it, and it's just very on it. Actually, it's her song, but it 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 sang like a lament psalm, hmm. and it was I don't know. I, I'm not even necessarily a big Grammys guy either, but mm-hmm. it, it just felt like, oh, this is a moment. Like the timing of all of that and this this mega superstar like fighting back tears in the midst of just an unthinkable day. It was very strange to see in some ways Hollywood yeah. model what we haven't necessarily always seen from Hollywood is like somber, lament, like real tears – I'm not saying we don't ever see that in Hollywood, but sometimes okay. it's all about you know the the glitz and the fr- the mm-hmm. polish and the upfront persona, and that is one of the strange things. And I you know I saw something from uh, from LeBron uh, last night where he's talking about how you know we need to stop this comparison between athletes and stop comparing eras. We need to hug the ones that we love and mm. um, just sort of crystallizing, you know. And it was very odd because I I just did a funeral on Saturday, mm. and you know we've talked about this before. Funerals do have sort of this way of like bringing. Into yeah. focus, like all the stuff that actually does matter, and I imagine even for you, like being away for a week, you know. And again, you made jokes about going from Mexico back to this yeah, great yeah. mess, but there is something about like, oh man, my life is exhausting at times. Yep. But gosh, my family, my a- kids, absolutely. Like, that that's what that's what it's really about, you know. Absolutely, like there were moments where I was just like, okay, I, I'm in paradise in Mexico, and I, I want to go home. I want to yeah, see my right, kids. Right. And so um, I do want to unpack some of this. Maybe we'll pull this over to the next segment because I do think there are some pastoral theological questions in here of kind of what I touched on, Mm. people talking about the pointless nature of it. How do you walk people through that? Uh, So maybe we'll carry that over. But at the very least, be praying. There are families that are broken apart, like uh, three or four families in particular who lost family members, not member, but members. Uh, but there are still family members alive, and, and I just can't imagine that heartache. So at the very least, uh, be praying for uh, the Bryant family, but the other families that were there. Uh, and let's uh, we'll, when we come back, let's talk some more about this. How do you process this type of tragedy and this kind of loss? We're going to do that next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. 
Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. Find us on Twitter at Common Good Talk. Uh, find us online, 1160hope.com, and you can find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Go ahead and subscribe, rate, review. I even listened to some of the podcasts while I was in Mexico. Did you, though? I listened to one. It was good. <laughs> it was good. You so, went from some to, to I one. I listened to a whole, but I listened to one. I one listened to an and podcast. Can I ask which one? Do you remember? It was the one over Martin Luther King Day, I believe. Oh, yeah. And that was, uh, that was good stuff. That was a good show. So you can find any of those old shows. If you're like, oh, I want to listen to that one, go to the podcast. There you go. Good pitch. Uh, so we last segment, we touched on a lot of the just kind of how we felt yesterday as we were seeing the news reports uh, about that tragedy with Kobe Bryant. And then we came to learn uh, his 13-year-old daughter was on the helicopter that crashed. And then you start to learn the stories of the other people. They've all now been identified, um, except for the pilot, I believe. And uh, where I want to go with it now, and let's see, uh, what, what a lot of people... Uh, Rightfully so, were saying as they watched the coverage and as they were getting interviewed was, man, it just seems so senseless. It's not mm. fair. Forty-one yeah. years old, he has his whole life ahead of him. He's going to make a huge difference. Most people, there were people saying that some of the stuff he was in the works of doing was going to be more. His second act was going to be more impressive than his first act, and yeah. he's one of the greatest basketball players to ever play. So that's right. a pretty big statement to make. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, and then you add on the layer of thirteen-year-old girls just going to play basketball, getting cut down, right. families being broken up, all of this. Right. Just the the immense uh, tragedy, the enormity of the tragedy. Uh, and so many people rightfully were going, it's just so senseless. It doesn't make sense. It's not fair. You start to hear these words. Uh, and I'm wondering as pastors uh, and just as people who were watching stuff yesterday wrestling with it, because yeah. it doesn't feel fair. It feels like the book of James, right? Like your your life's a vapor. It could be gone tomorrow. Like all of these things that we know theoretically seem to really come to pass in this tragedy yesterday. How do you wrestle with you, that for yourself, but also when people come to you as a pastor and they're like, this just isn't fair. Life's not fair. It doesn't make sense. This yeah. is just a tragedy. Why would God do that? All those questions that come at times, what are some answers, or not even answers, what are some thoughts that come to mind for you? Oh, I think that's a great distinction yeah. because it is a whole lot Caught more myself. about... No, it's a great catch, though, and I think it's one that it seems subtle, but it's really significant. Honestly... For me, this is where like the book of Ecclesiastes can be so helpful. Yeah. Like the book of Ecclesiastes is a book for everyone who played by the rules and still got screwed. You yeah, know what I mean? Like it's sort of like it. that's that's how the book kind of reads, which can be really frustrating, but it also and we've talked about this a number of times, I think it for me at least, elevates the significance of lament. And mm. we've had Aubrey Sampson in who's written one of the greatest books uh, in recent memory on Lament, The Louder Song. Yeah. Um, I, I think when we talk about, you know, a third of the Psalms are Psalms of Lament. We have a book called Lamentations. Mm-hmm. You have Jeremiah who says stuff like, I wish I'd never been born. Like I imagine when people, when tragedy comes knocking at their door, they've probably felt similarly. Like, yeah. I, I'm done with all of this. And the fact that the Bible doesn't feel the need to like clean those stories up yeah. or not include them. Like if I'm being really honest, if I'm responsible for putting together a collection of books to sort of represent this Jesus movement, this Jesus yeah. mission, I'm inclined to leave out the messy, heartbreaking stuff because yes. you're trying to make a case for this, right? Yes. I mean, even when it comes down to Paul, Paul is regularly talking about, like, man, I was uh, imprisoned and shipwrecked and whipped. If you're hearing that, you're like, what? what? Why would I want to <laughs> yeah. be a part of that? But I think the beauty of that is 
if the Bible does not feel the need to hide the stories of grief, sorrow, and tragedy, maybe that means that we don't have to either. Yes. And I think so often in the church world, we struggle to do that um, with any level of like real authenticity until it's like happening to us. Yes. And it feels like, oh my gosh, there is no theological truism or sanctimony or platitude that just like makes this better, right? There's not a theological answer that's yeah. like, oh, well then I guess I'm fine with this. And and that to me is the humanity of the whole the whole question is how do we actually enter into the grief of humanity, mm-hmm. enter into the sorrow and allow ourselves to be changed by it, to feel the confidence to ask why to a God that would rather we yell at him than walk away from him, right? right? That is just as much, I think, just as much worship as anything to say, God, are you paying attention to us? Mm-hmm. Why in, in the world... Why do we see the violence in Chicago that we see? Right. right? Why, why do we experience the heartbreak of miscarriages? Why do mm-hmm. Why do we see divorce, particularly among Christian leaders? Why is that so rampant? Like, there's a lot of stuff that I feel like sometimes we feel like we need to shy away from or don't don't ask that question. The Bible says, bring all those questions. Bring your mm-hmm. sorrow. Bring your grief. And I think in the process we end up being changed by it. But that that can be really scary at times. I think Absolutely. to do that. That's really good. You just brought up something too about. I've been wondering why, why, if so, why did I, and I think so many other people feel a visceral response to when you learn that Kobe Bryant died. And I think it's because we know we don't know him, but you feel like you know him. Yeah, right. And so you said when, when these things get put on your own doorstep, when a family member or a you know, friend passes right. away, you feel this so deeply. Right. I think this situation, you're like, well, I did know that guy. I watched him play for 18 years. He right. was on my TV all the time when you really didn't know him. But I think it, that's why it brings up such emotions. And you bring up a wonderful point that... When your theology has no place for tragedy, mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. what feels like random tragedy, yeah, right. you know, like senseless. Yeah. This, this, I was watching a news report this morning, and they're starting to hypothesize what happened in this helicopter. Just might have been that it was foggy out, and the and the and the pilot got disoriented. Wow, it could just be that random. Is oh, my point, man. and that might not end up being true, but that's right. their best guess right now. Right, uh, and that randomness of that, uh, if your theology doesn't have a spot where where uh, if everything in your theology is like, believe God more and everything's going to be great, All right. believe God more, and then you're just like, well, then what do you do with 13-year-old girls yeah, and right. a guy with a – what do you do with that? And, and I think that is where you know theology really matters. And, and a lot of us, unfortunately, here in the West, don't we, – we, we like to pretend that, well, if I just follow God more, then these things won't happen to me. And then they do, and you're like, boom, I'm gone. I'm done. Right. And I, I love what you said there. Like, in these kind of moments, you either run, you know, you run away from God or you go yell at God. Right. And and the answer that we see over and over in Scripture is the yell at God and the what's going on. Yeah, and I, I think, too, uh, what I would maybe call, like, a, a, a cruciform Christology. Like, we so often paint a picture of some kind of prayer of repentance and then the rest of life is a walk in the park. Mm-hmm. Well, we see at the cross among other places that that isn't the case, right? So when we talk about health and wealth stuff, you know, that means you're always happy. Your friends are always by your side. You have lots of money and you never experience pain. That's the opposite of Jesus's experience. whose friends yes. abandoned him, <laughs> yes. right? Who was born not to a wealthy family, but a poor family and was crucified publicly uh, executed on the cross. And I think, to give space, I mean, even when we talk about how the disciples died, you know, mm-hmm. many of them mm-hmm. did not pass nicely in their sleep. Yeah. So at the very least, I think we need to wrestle with what does it mean to be a Christ follower? And yet this side of eternity still experienced great heartache and tragedy. 
what do we do with that and how do we actually walk through that? I think is I think those are some of the most important pastoral questions, but they're also some of the most important Christian questions. Absolutely. And at the very least it requires space. Mm. You know, I think when we're obsessed with polish and order, sometimes the that is the antidote to space, mm-hmm. to real questions, for doubt. And I love, you know, what Frederick Buechner says doubt is like the ants in the pants of faith that keeps it alive and moving. Don't run from doubt. Don't run from that stuff. Like, lean into it. And I think some of the greatest theologians and thinkers and pastors of our age and previous experienced their own seasons of the dark night of the soul. Yeah. And what, do we do, what do I do with this reality? And that's I just think it's really important. And so I think we take a tragedy like this and... I think, like you're saying, allow yourself to feel the emotions of it, not yeah. be like, what am I, you know, I never knew that. Well, right. there is something personal about it. Pray for the families. But then, uh, like you just said, lean into the doubt and the frustration and the anger and go, what, what, what is my theology? Where does this actually fit in? Uh, I think that is a worthwhile conversation that yeah. we all need to be having on a regular basis. So. Uh, as we said, also at the very least, be praying for these families that were affected, yes. uh, not just affected, broken by yeah. by what happened yesterday. That's right. Uh, outside of Los Angeles. So, uh, coming up next, uh, we are going to talk about what each of us preached yesterday. Even though I was away most of the week, I still preached yesterday. Uh, oh, you did? Yeah, wow, I did. Look at you. I did. And you uh, you were back up at the Yellow Box. That's so right. we're going to discuss what we preached next. Coming up here on the Common Good AM eleven sixty. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm. I've missed the uh, John Legend open. We haven't done it in a few weeks. I'm just proud of you for knowing that's John Legend. Oh, see, I know John Legend. I just don't know all your obscure bands. (laughs) I mean, I don't know that Modest Mouse is that obscure. I literally never heard of them. That does not mean it's obscure. <laughs> it's obscure to me. That is not the litmus test. <laughs> obscure to me. <laughs> You've heard of a little uh, artist named Bon Jovi? Yes, yeah. I have. <laughs> uh, yes, I. I just have. recently watched the video of him singing at that wedding again. It's actually kind of painful. He clearly what? does not. No, no, it's painful because he clearly doesn't want to. Uh, and they're yeah, like yeah, egging yeah. him on. He's like, ah, okay, I just want to go to a wedding. I, yes, yes. You know what I'm talking about? They're like I singing right at him. He's like, yeah, I get it. I Living get on it. a prayer. Okay, like, here we go. I've <laughs> heard this one before. <laughs> I, uh, totally off subject, for Christmas, I got uh, a um, Sirius XM radio subscription for my okay, car. Okay, fancy pants. And, All inclusive uh, resort, Sirius yeah, XM. Hey, radio money's good. How man. much are they paying you at four corners? So, it's all radio Jeez money. Louise. And so uh, I am obsessed with the Billy Joel channel right now. You a Billy Joel fan? Well, we're all out of time here, so coming up next on the Common Good. No. My wife is not. She gets. She's like, please turn this channel. I'm, I don't know why. I'm just obsessed. Why don't you like Billy Joel? There's no real reason. I don't dislike him. It just isn't. Okay. It's, not, it's not my jam. Okay. I think he's a very talented musician. Billy Joel fits me much more than he fits you. We'll put it that way. <laughs> yeah, that's a fair statement. He fits me. <laughs> Fits like a nice sweater. It's a fair statement. Well, uh, for the first time in a couple weeks, I believe, you and I both preached at the same time. It feels like one (laughs) week you do and I don't, and the next week I don't and you do. Uh, I think I just said the same <laughs> thing both ways. <laughs> it's like I, six one, six the other. Yeah, yeah. You preach, I don't, I don't. You pre- it just mm-hmm. keeps going that way. Uh, but yesterday we both preached, so we thought we'd bring this segment back. What did we preach? The goal of this is to be helpful for those of you, uh, whether you were in church yesterday or not, uh, just to hear kind of what we shared. And so for us, I talked about um, the concept of, so we're going through our four values of our church. And the last one, 
Uh, is that you we only de- have four exactly? Yes. Is that we desire? Then there's four A and four B. Mm, it's like a like a contract exactly. Nice. <laughs> so uh, the last one was we desire to be bold in truth, and uh, we talked about where where I went yesterday was like oftentimes when we talk about that it's kind of the evangelism talk you and I have had before that when we talk about being bold in truth a I said it's not a uh, synonym to being obnoxious or pushy but b it's not even go tell other people. And I talked, I spent all of yesterday about challenging people with, uh, are we boldly believing the gospel ourselves? I just got preacher and I moved my hands and hit my microphone. <laughs> First time for everything. <laughs> so it's, it, it was not, are we boldly sharing the gospel with others, but it, are we boldly believing the gospel? Or has the good news become old news is basically what I said. Hmm. That, that we put the cart before the horse a lot of times and be like, go share, go share, go share, while having this l- l- question of, do I actually believe this myself? Or... You know, do I really uh, do I really think this is good news at all for my life? Have I grown past the gospel? And so much of yesterday was, um, you know what? The gospel is the beginning, the middle and the end. Uh, And I used from my trip, I used a picture of um, when you get on an airplane and and they talk about uh, the, the oxygen masks. And what do they always tell you first? Put it on your mouth, put it for yourself first and then help your kid. And you're like, that always feels backwards when they say that. Uh, but that what they don't want happening is you're helping your kid and then you pass out and then right. neither of you are helped uh, and kind of made the connection the same way that a lot of times when we say first go share the gospel without actually knowing it or believing it ourselves, we're kind of like, here, you take it and kind of go and not, I, I actually need it myself. So kind of the direction we went, the way we kick off our year and uh, it was really good uh, to be back in our church again after having been gone for a week. It's just, you know, when you go to your church, like I like these people. And I like this place. Uh, that's always a comfortable place to be. So I'm just mostly surprised that you scheduled yourself to preach after your week in Mexico. I know. I know. Because <laughs> uh, I didn't preach last week. So, yeah, that's so fair. I was okay. It went okay. Uh, there were moments where I was like, what? Why did I do that? Well, you know, who's in charge here? <laughs> I, I'll promise you this. I did not work on it at all when I, while yeah, I was good in Mexico. For you. So good go. for you. You were back up at the Yellow Box for the first time in a while, so how'd that go? That's right. Well, I was uh, also there the week prior. so Preaching at the Yellow Box. Yeah. I was preaching the week prior to the... Yeah. Oh, I'm, I misheard you. I thought you said yesterday was your first time preaching there in a while. Mm-mm. Okay, nope. no, my bad. I, I preached the week prior on Sabbath, but we uh, we started a new series called Defy Gravity, and we're talking uh, chiefly about the pull of our culture, mm. uh, particularly in how we handle wealth and finances. So th- this idea was that there's, you know, we don't typically wake up most mornings thinking about gravity, but it, it has an effect That's on good. us, and I think money, and particularly the cultural message around money, is sort of ever-present, whether we're Cogs did it of it or not, but Capital One actually did a survey a couple years ago, and they found that 73% of Americans say their finances are the number one cause of stress in their life. And you could just like feel the whole room wow. be like, mm-hmm. yep, that's wow. true. And I was like, that, that affects all of us. So we, we opened um, reading a, a large chunk from the Sermon on the Mount, and I said, I think this, this pull towards money culture leads us to hurry, worry, or consume. Those tend to be one of the three areas, mm-hmm. and we talked about what a pattern of hurry looks like in, you know, in Matthew 6. Jesus says, yeah, the pagans run after all these things. This just this exhaustion, not just to buy, but to buy now, right? Yeah. Like the, the urge, and the worry piece is sort of the, how much is enough? Will it ever be enough? Will it remain enough? Like the constant, I kind of admitted, I tend to be that guy. Yeah. I'm the one that's obsessively running through the house, like turning off all the lights, like, who left this faucet running? As I if, did it yesterday. Did you? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like those two extra seconds of faucet water is going to, you know, break the bank. And we talked about the, this consumption piece is what often leads to so much of our anxiety. And there's a book uh, named Worry Less, Live More, where uh, Richard Morgan actually notes how Amazon keeps track of highlights from 
ebooks and then publishes the most popular highlights. Uversion actually mm. did the same thing. We did a segment on this, and they both agreed the most popular, most highlighted, most bookmarked verse in the entire Bible yeah. is Philippians 4 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Yes. Which I kind of admitted, I said, a lot of us struggle with this, but just hearing a verse doesn't make that go away, right? Like Corey Tenboom said, War- worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow, yes. it empties today of its strength. And I said, a lot of us know that, and yet we still worry. It still has mm-hmm. a hold on us, and it can lead to all sorts of uh, unhelpful behaviors. And so it's kind of tucked away in this passage where he's talking about worry and how we often kind of freak out and we run after all these things. Jesus' invitation is, seek first my kingdom. And part of what I said was, a lot of times we treat Jesus like, well, I have a little Jesus here, yeah. a little Jesus there, and I'll give him my Sunday mornings, but not necessarily my entire life. Like, that was never an option. That, right. that right. offer's not on the table. I told a story about Charlemagne, who led a group of people called the Franks, and he was this just an incredible uh, European ruler during the Middle Ages, and how a lot of his soldiers would get baptized en masse. But what would happen is, as they were getting baptized, they would, like, hold their swords up out of the water so as not to baptize their arm because they still needed to do some killing. You know what I mean? And I said, a lot of us don't walk around with swords, but I think a lot of us are doing this with our wallets. Like, God, you can have the rest of me. Like, you know, my kids and my weekends and maybe Tuesday nights for a small group, but, like, I'm I'm holding on to this. And we talked about how money just has that power over us. But this invitation to be a generous person, right? Like Paul instructs a young Timothy and says, teach them to be generous so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Yeah. You know, I think Spurgeon said, giving is true having. Like, it feels really counterintuitive. Like, why would I, why would I give what I work so hard for? But the, the real scandal of the whole thing is hmm. everything's a gift. We, we're entrusted to steward whatever it is that God gave us. So maybe the question isn't, okay, God, how much, how much of my money do I have to give? Maybe right. more it's like, God, how much of your money do I get to keep? Hmm. And kind of challenging people to a, a, just a different way of thinking about how we look at our stuff and consumption. And I, I challenged, you know, our church. I said, look, look around your house. Like all that stuff used to be money and all that money used to be time. And so often we buy into the lie. Like if I have this thing or if I have this trip or I have this item, that'll like bring me some sort of, you know, wholeness. And we all know it doesn't really lead that. Right. And uh, so, yeah, challenge to living generously, not because God's some sort of like demanding ruler in the sky, but because he models generosity for us, that God still loved the world that he, gave and so it was it was uh it was a really challenging talk to preach to be honest and right. i admitted a number of times i was like i am not i am not good at this just cards on the table this is a struggle for me but it, it felt like i was just really proud of our church they, they really just leaned into it and i thought it was i thought it was really good that's awesome do you like talk, do you like speaking on money uh you know i i actually don't mind it as much as a lot of pastors tend to yeah. simply because um i think that it's actually really central significant theological component generosity uh and that's with all things that's not just with money but we're talking specifically money i think is really really important um and you know jesus this was kind of the linchpin he says man where your treasure is that's where your heart is right do you want to know where your heart actually is at not just what you say or what you eloquently post online do you want to know what's really going on at your heart level Check your bank statements. Right, it'll that'll tell you what you what you value. And I thought, man, Jesus isn't just interested in our money; he's interested in our heart. That's right. what he's really going after. That's what Jesus is always going after. And uh, yeah, that that is to me that's 
evergreen. That'll always be a challenge. That's good, man. Well, hopefully that was helpful for you guys out there uh, just to hear what we preached on. Uh, hour one's in the books. I feel like I'm now fully back from Mexico. I'm back. You're hour back. One. He's hour here. one is done. He's here, y'all. Uh, coming up next, we are going to talk about a Christianity Day article uh, that came out last week while I was gone about older church members not being welcome. That's what we're going to talk about next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. In the second hour, we're going to have the chance to talk to Hassana Sisko about a great event with Dr. Bernice King happening at Wheaton College. You are listening to The Common Good. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Really glad to have you joining us on this Monday evening. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. On Twitter, at Common Good Talk. Find us online at 1160hope.com. And as always, find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Go ahead, subscribe, rate, review. Uh, We are grateful for uh, all of you who do listen. I think we even had somebody on Facebook ask you if uh, if this was your podcast, not knowing it was a radio show the other day. Now that happens. I, I, I don't know why that always makes me happy. Right, they're getting us from all different ways. Where we appreciate really it. mainly two. There you go. Radio and podcast. <laughs> Those are the two ways. Some are listening via telepathy. Others via visions and dreams. Thank you for however you experience us. <laughs> but we know you can get us through podcasts and the radio. At least those two. We know those two. So uh, last week uh, there was that that uh, story that kind of was blowing up Christian Twitter, if you will. I always have to remind myself it's not it's not like uh, all these other people know about it. But it was about a small congregation called Grove United Methodist Church. Uh, where some members recently claimed, claimed age discrimination over a service being canceled. Uh, it says, but there are many churches sending a similar message. If you're an older adult, uh, we don't want you here. Uh, as a part of denominational efforts to reboot the Cottage Grove, Minnesota church, uh, leaders are asking the 25 or so people who gather each week in the Grove building to leave their building and worship at a nearby sister congregation while a new team plants a new church at their campus. According to the St. Paul Pioneer Press report, these mostly older members have been directed to wait 15 to 18 months after its launch before asking new leadership if they can migrate back. So before getting into the bigger question here, when you saw that story, what were kind of some of your initial reactions? Well, my initial reactions come by way of just the headline, which is not a good way to consume information in general. And uh, I'm searching for it now. We did post it to the Facebook page, and I did have a buddy who's up that way, and he said the the story is being exaggerated a little bit. It's not totally as it seems. But there is certainly, I mean, the headline is, Best Path to a Younger Flock? church asks older members to worship elsewhere. I mean, <laughs> at first blush, you're like, that's horrific. Like, and so if that is, you know, encapsulating the entire story, which we know it never is, uh, what a terrible way to go about ministry. And I, I think one of the things that you and I have talked about a couple of times when it comes to um, a way forward for the church, I think it's not only multi-ethnic, but I think it's it also needs to be multi-generational. Yes. And sometimes multi-generational ministry can almost feel at times more difficult mm. because, and that we've both been to churches like this where you walk in and it's like super hip and I can tell everything 
at least for me, like, a, oh, this they had me in mind, like, oh, fair trade coffee, and there's wood, <laughs> wood paneling everywhere, and it's all songs I like, and everyone's wearing a fedora. You know, like, there's, but then you, like, scan the room, and you're like, no one here's over 30. That can't be good. Yeah. Like, there's a certain energy at times, but I think there's so much growth and wisdom and strength when we actually, not just, like, learn from older generations. I think sometimes even that can be a little self-serving, utilitarian, like, ooh, we want to learn from the wise sages in our congregation, but yeah. we don't actually want to give them a seat at the table, right? So part of how I think that needs to look is actually giving space for some of those disagreements if it comes down to music volume or font size. Yeah. or like Some of those things can seem insignificant to younger leaders, and oftentimes young leaders, I think, will just make wholesale changes without bothering to ask, like, why was this here in the first place? Who came before me? Who were the the people that made the decision for this thing to be hung there or this part of the service to look this way. And I think often young people too quickly uh, cancel things or reinvent things or uh, amend things or reform things that they think, well, this is an obvious thing, not realizing, man, the 50, 60, 70-year-olds within your community are being slighted or being offended or at the very least not being asked to weigh in at all. And I just think the body of Christ loses when we uh, when we make decisions like that. That's well put. You said something interesting that uh, the multi-generational church, uh, I think you used the word difficult. Yeah. Uh, and some people out there might be like, why is it difficult? I like older people or older people going, I like younger people. What makes it difficult? Uh, and what re- maybe what intentionality is required to bring about a church that has all ages within it? I mean, it is, it's the right word, intentionality. I don't think there's any sort of secret curriculum or tactic. I think it has to start with uh, actually appreciating and valuing the perspectives of a diversity of voices. So it doesn't work if you're just placating. If it's like, mm. okay, we're going to have our once a year, we'll meet with the boomers, we'll, you know, just to kind of help them feel heard. That to me is... Um, is so demeaning and denigrating. And I think we do a disservice when we don't actually give space. for. And obviously, this is in any organization. And you know this Absolutely. as someone who founded your church. There are plenty of times we've had to hear hear everyone out and go, okay, I heard you all, um, but I have to make a decision. Yeah. And so some of you are not going to be happy with this. But like some of the comments here, you know, my mom, I think, put it well. Actually, Colette Simpkins said, um, disposable generation disposes of the wise experienced generation is a formula for a cult-like church to not be good at all. And that idea that so, there might be some wisdom from people who have been doing it longer or even at you know a location or a part of a community longer, even if you disagree, um, a lot of it starts with trust. And if we don't actually trust the people that came before us, it doesn't mean they made every perfect decision. I'm not saying this is an easy solution, yeah. but you have to actually learn to value the perspectives of the people that came before you and then also still lead with confidence you know that's a difficult balance to strike that is a difficult balance uh the author here uh, on this christian today article writes older members hear the message they're not valued in a variety of ways Uh, here's one listen to this one a worship team comprised of members only under 40 a Mm. range of programming designed for young younger attenders or a lack of pastoral care when they're in the trenches of long-term illness or caring for aging uh, parents. Those who've been burned or burned out by congregational politics tend to fade away from congregational life. And many have told me that no one ever bothered to find out why. There's a very mm. interesting point there. I actually know, not not within our own church, but from some other churches I know of, there, I know of some uh, some older people who are now more like retirement age who were like head elders of their church for years or like just really immersed in their church for years 
and then not only left that church, but left the church yeah. overall. Right. And I find that really interesting. I think that's one thing the author here is highlighting. Like, what is it that got them to the point of not only leaving leadership, but leaving the church in general? Yeah. And I, I think, too, there there is another side to this. Yes. Because we've we've all heard of churches that refuse to change at all, you yeah, know, and they say point. they want to grow younger and they want to reach, you know, a younger generation, but refuse to make any changes. I realize this certainly goes both ways. Um, but it sometimes feels like a baby and bathwater discussion. Mm-hmm. You know, it's either you know, we have our traditions and none of that will ever change, uh, but we still want to grow younger. <laughs> or I think it can be an obsession with growing younger and that we're willing to go after that at all costs. Yeah. Like what Kurt Reamer said here on uh, this Facebook post that we made, he said, there isn't a division by age in heaven. Young and old alike should desire to worship together. I think they should, mm-hmm. but I also think that needs to be... Um, that needs to be cultivated. Yeah. So a lot of times, you know, like we've talked about this as youth pastors, I remember I was buying pizza for all these students. And part of the, the disagreement was, well, students should want to come and worship. You don't need to buy pizza. And I'm like, I agree they should want it. But if pizza's going to get them in the door, I'm willing to do that too. I'm going for it. <laughs> because they don't. They don't desire yet. But we're going to shepherd them. We're going to yes. teach them. We're going to lead them to simply say, you know, yeah, they should desire to worship together. But we need to. And I think that a lot of that comes from the front. Like, are we actually honoring the rich diversity of uh, cultures and generations within our body. That's hard to do. And I yeah. think, you know, like Brian Fromm, you're 42. I am. So you're in some ways, you're kind of I'm at the perfect s- space, though. You're sort of in between. I feel like you have the capacity to appeal to both ends of the spectrum, but not everyone has that capacity. So sometimes to the 24-year-old pastor, I'd be like, man, surround yourself, you know, with some wise older leaders and vice versa. And that's I think good. that's that's uh, that's easier said than done, but it's really important. And so much of the talk now is about how do we keep younger generations in the church? And that's an important conversation to have. What we miss out is that the answer to that question might be the older generation. Yeah. (laughs) Their mentoring, their wisdom, their all that stuff, as opposed to, well, we got to make room for the younger generation. We got to hip it up. We got to do this or that. Uh, And we end up missing out. So you can find that article. It's Christianity Day article. You can find it on our Facebook page at the Common Good Radio Show. That is the Common Good Radio Show. You can find the podcast wherever it is you get uh, your podcast. Well, coming up next, uh, we are going to talk to some friends about the Rodney Cisco Symposium with the keynote speaker being Dr. Bernice King happening on Wednesday, February 5th at Wheaton College. That is coming up next here on the Common Good AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everybody, welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Really glad to have you join us. Uh, You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. You can find us on Twitter at The Common Good Talk. Find us online at 1160hope.com. And as always, you can find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Just go ahead, uh, subscribe, rate, review. Uh, as we like to say, Ian and I like to talk to each other here in the studio, but even more than that, we uh, love to have people come and visit us, people that we uh, uh, get to meet and talk to, and uh, what's better than one guest than two? So we get to have two guests in studio right now. We are thrilled to be joined by Hassana Sisko uh, and by Brad Summerfield. So guys, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks so much for having us. Absolutely. Thank you. Absolutely. They are here uh, to talk about... Um, 
a, an event coming up at Wheaton College called uh, A Prophet Without Honor with the keynote speaker, Dr. Bernice King. This is happening February the 5th of 2020, coming up here at 6.30 p.m. at Edmond Chapel, uh, the first of the Rodney Cisco uh, Symposium, the Leadership, Diversity, and Equity. And Asana, I guess I want to start there. Uh, I'm a Wheaton College graduate. You and I were just talking, and so I'm very familiar with your husband, uh, Rodney Cisco. Uh, but most people listening probably are not. And, and this whole thing is being done, I, I was reading in your bio, as uh, also a way to honor him and, and carry on his kind of life's work. Could you talk a little bit about your husband before we jump into uh, into this actual event? Absolutely. Thank you so much once again for having us. Absolutely. And as a fellow Wheaton graduate, good to be with you here this today. Yes, so um, most of you um, may not know about Rodney, but uh, Rodney and I, we were married for almost 31 years mm. and just a wonderful uh, union. Uh, Rodney was also a Wheaton graduate and uh, had the opportunity to work for the college for almost 34 years. Wow. Hmm. And uh, Rodney went home to be with his Lord and Savior um, December 30th, 2018. Hmm. And his life's work was really centered around bringing people together, hmm. really bringing people together and focusing on the unity in the body of Christ. And really, he was called to this work very early in his life, I believe, as we found both of ourselves on the campus at Wheaton College and learning a lot about what it meant to love each other and to understand God's grace as we uh, met people from diverse backgrounds. Mm -hmm. And so Rodney spent most of his life really uh, bringing people together from different backgrounds, whether, you know, in the song that we all learn as children, uh, red and yellow, black mm -hmm, and white, mm -hmm. we are precious in his sight. Yeah. And as the, the word of God says that we're all made from one blood. And so we firmly believe that the Lord is uh, coming back to win his bride from every tribe, tongue, and nation. That's right. And so this particular symposium was birthed from a vision to honor Rodney's legacy and life work and to celebrate that hmm. from that very verse in Revelation 5-9. Yeah. That's beautiful. Really so I'm curious, from your perspective, this is something that Brian and I have talked about a number of times on this show over the last year that we've been doing it. Are we getting better at this? At this hmm. conversation about intercultural engagement, diversity, are we as a nation, as a church, like, are you hopeful? Or, or do you feel like there's just a whole lot more work to be done? Well, I believe that we're talking more about it, yeah. and I continue to be hopeful. Mm -hmm. And I think as Christians, we have to continue to be hopeful. Mm -hmm. um, if we're not hopeful, where would we be? That's right. right? Mm -hmm. That's right. And so I think as Christians, we have to continue to be hopeful. I think there is a lot more conversation about it. And so uh, we as Christians, we cannot be disengaged. Yeah. We have to be engaged, and I think we have to lean in. And this is part of that process of leaning in and being more engaged in the process. And so I am grateful to have um, our dear friend, Brad Sommerfeld, who has um, was also a Wheaton graduate and um, our best man mm -hmm. and Rodney's roommate and right here by my side. That's amazing. Engaged in the process with us. 
Yeah, that's Thank really you. that's really wild. That, that uh, I think back to college and that, that you've got this relationship after all these years. I remember at Wheaton. I'm guessing you were just put together as roommates, right? Like that. <laughs> that that's how it was when I was there. And I don't have much of a relationship with my freshman year roommate anymore. <laughs> Could you talk a little bit about Rodney's um, the the impact he had on your life over the years and just how that uh, has continued to spur this on? Sure. Um, yeah, actually, I always say I knew Rodney before Asana did. So um, you bring that up a lot. <laughs> yes, he does. Okay, you win, Brad. Um, <laughs> well, and, and the other thing I always say is uh, Rodney was uh, great at helping grow my faith, and I can say that because Rodney was uh, physically a very big man. He mm-hmm. was six five, uh, size seventeen shoe. Oh wow! We threw size away the 17. ladder for the bunk so he could. Just just climb up there. <laughs> but I always said it was very faith building because when you looked up from the bottom bunk, you went, I hope that holds. <laughs> yeah, why was he on the top bunk? Exactly. Well, because then we could throw away the ladder. <laughs> the rooms weren't that big. So getting rid of the ladder was a big plus. So, but, it, you know, we had a great time and, and his love for the Lord was evident. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that uh, I always noticed was I would be walking with Rodney at times, and someone would come walking up, and they'd go, Hey, Rodney, how you doing? And give him a big five and you know, have this great conversation. They'd walk away, and I'd say, uh, Who is that? And he'd go, uh, I don't know. <laughs> and, and I just, just like I a just, pastor. Yeah, yeah I, I just looked at him, and I said, what do you mean you don't know him? And he goes, well, they know me, but it's harder for me to know everybody who knows me oh, because I'm more conspicuous. Right. <laughs> so I'm more easily identified. And I realized how God had to give him a grace for that. Yeah. You know, and he just loved everybody, even if he didn't know your name. It's oh, wow. So what, what's some of your hopes for this particular event? Because I know that um, a lot of people listening, there may be. They're stirred by the topic, or they realize some of their own deficiencies in this matter. But, like, what is, what is your, if in a perfect world, what's some of your hope uh, that this will accomplish? What, what do you, what would you count as like a win following this event? Well, there's several things, but I think one of the basic things that we are going after is our target audience is young men and women, hmm. particularly on Christian campuses around mm. the United States, and you know, maybe in the future around the world. But we have young men and women captive for four years on a Christian campus. And quite frankly, as they are learning their craft in whatever disciplines, they could likely learn that anywhere else. Right, right. But on a Christian campus, there is something uniquely different about being captured there for four years. Hmm. They're learning things from a Christian worldview. Right. Uh, liberal arts Christian worldview that is phenomenal Hmm. but there often is this gap and I can say that because I've experienced it and there's this gap of understanding who we are in Christ from the person who looks different from us Hmm. around the world right and so we want to bring that um, understanding to these various campuses and challenge one another to say, hey, how about looking not only in the mirror, right. but understanding the other person on the yeah. other side as well? That's really good. You know, and one of the things that Rodney always spoke about is is grace. Mm-hmm. You know, how can we um, engage each other who are different and um, also 
engage others with conflict mm-hmm. and bring grace into that. Yeah. And, and really understand that grace and love and mercy is more important than just justice. Yeah, right. You know? Right. And so we're really wanting people to um, enter the world with that. That's great. Sounds like something not just our college campuses need, but our culture in general. Absolutely. It could use a little bit more of it. We're talking to uh, Hassana Sisko and Brad Summerfield uh, about the inaugural Rodney Sisko Symposium. It's happening at Wheaton College on Wednesday, February the 5th and 6th. Uh, on February 5th, it's at Edmond Chapel at 6.30 p.m. And uh, in our next segment, I want to talk to you about the keynote speaker being Dr. Bernice King, the daughter of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. Uh, so we're going to do that next. Thank you, guys. You guys are going to hang out with us for another segment. And uh, we're going to go over uh, some more details from this event. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Ian Simpkins. My name is uh, Brian Fromm. We're glad to have you joining us today. Uh, and we are thrilled to be joined in studio uh, for a second segment by Hassana Sisko and Brad Summerfield, here to talk about the inaugural Rodney Sisko Symposium happening at Wheaton College Wednesday, February the 5th, and Thursday, February uh, the 6th. Uh, let us give you a website. You can go to uh, Symposium.org. Uh, that's Rodney Cisco. Cisco is S-I-S-C-O, symposium.org. There you can find more information, but also you can find, I think you guys said, three uh, chapel messages that Rodney gave at Wheaton uh, and some other things. So we would encourage you to go there. Uh, could you give us, Asana, just again, uh, some of the details? Maybe somebody out there, as Ian mentioned earlier, is going, no, oh, I'm kind of interested in that. Uh, what are some of the highlights of this symposium that's coming up? Absolutely. So on day one, which is February 5th, as you shared before, um, we start out at six o'clock in Edmond Chapel with our keynote speaker, who will be Dr. Bernice King. Mm. And um, that's promising to be a very exciting evening. And um, on day two, uh, February 6th, there will be several uh, panel discussions, which will be led by um, several uh, Speakers, including Dr. Daniel Hill. Mm-hmm. Um, we have uh, Miss uh, Elizabeth Perkins mm-hmm. and Pastor Chris Cannon um, from the John and Vera May Perkins Foundation. And some of those uh, panel discussions are going to be talking about the, the good in diverse relationships, the biblical v- vision for kingdom diversity, as well as arts in the liberation struggle. And that day is going to culminate in a play called mm-hmm. 1619 which commemorates the 400 years of slavery in the United States. Wow. And that is a Journey of the People musical production. And that particular play will start at 6.30 in the Billy Graham Center in Barra's Auditorium. Mm. And just to uh, mention to everyone, all of these events are open to the public and are free. Oh, wow. And so this symposium is being hosted by Wheaton College. Uh, this year, mm-hmm. and so we're grateful to Wheaton College for hosting the 2020 symposium. And as I said, these symposia are being held across the United States annually, and we're happy to share with you that the 2021 symposium 
will be hosted by John Brown University wow. in Arkansas. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, right on. And yes. that's sort of the vision for this to travel around the country a little Absolutely. bit? That's, Absolutely. That's amazing. So, so Brian had mentioned there's a website and that three of Rodney's uh, messages are on that website. And Brad, you in particular mentioned one of those messages. Uh, it was entitled, I think, Who is My Neighbor? And that having uh, somewhat of an impact on you. Could you talk about that message a little bit? Sure. Um, no, it's uh, it was a consistent message of Rodney's life in terms of looking at other people. How do you look at other people? And he mm-hmm. went through uh, in Luke ten um, the parable of the Good Samaritan, and which ends with a question: you know, who is my neighbor? Right. Uh, or is preceded rather by the question: who is my neighbor? Some of the comments that uh, Rodney made out of that. Um, I thought were really important. And he said, what grounds the way that we think about neighbors is actually our identity, not mm. theirs. Hmm. And I thought that was really important. Um, and he says, you know, and back to talking about grace, that as believers that we are made new in Christ mm-hmm. and we know grace, getting what we don't deserve. We have mercy, not getting what we do deserve. And his comment was that this affects the way that we see those around us, not only because they have become something different, but more importantly, because we have become something yeah, different. And I think that really changes the equation yeah. when you take that in perspective. And, and I would encourage everybody to go to the website and listen to those messages. Um, you know, these are timeless truths. Yeah. That, yeah. Uh, we could use uh, listening any day. No yeah, kidding. it sounds like we can even use them more now. And so yeah. that's really that's really helpful. Hasana, uh, you, you read a quote of Rodney's kind of <laughs> off air that was just really encouraging and really challenging. I, I'm wondering if you'd read that quote for us and maybe kind of talk a little bit about um, just talk about it for us. Absolutely. Um, and it's also on that particular website uh, talking about his vision for his department, the Office of Multicultural Development. And he says, part of being the body of Christ is that we understand what grace is. And grace says that we are to be patient with each other, that we are to spend time with mm. each other. And in the context of what he was doing, he said, we're preparing young men and women to know how to address that how to be people who are able to engage with difference, who are able to engage with conflict in a way that still says we are doing it as men and women of God. Wow. And that really is a way to reflect Christ and his kingdom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, as we, bring, as we bring our diverse backgrounds together, you know, we have differences. Yeah. But that is a reflection of who God is. Mm, If I cannot see God through blue eyes, green eyes, red eyes, Mm -hmm. and yellow eyes, I have to be able to see him in all those ways and all those colors in order to fully know him and appreciate fully who he is. So I I, uh, hear people every week, and Brian and I are both pastors, so uh, these are conversations that we have the blessing of being able to have. But a number of times people will make comments like, is diversity really a problem? Like, is conversations about equality, is that really at the forefront? That I'm, I heard two things this last week. One was that when you're used to privilege, equality can feel like oppression. And the second was that one of the definitions of privilege is to think that something's not a problem if it's not a problem for you. <laughs> and uh, I thought those were really significant. But every week, though, we're facing comments that are like, I, I want to be a part of this conversation, but from where I live or in my bubble or whatever my experience is, you know, there are plenty of people that are wondering, is this really all that important, right? Mm-hmm. What, what would you what would you say to, to those people that are struggling to see some of the significance of these types of conversations? Yeah, I think that um, 
it is difficult mm-hmm. for uh, individuals who probably don't see the issue as real to them. Right. You know, and so it's, it, it is an issue. But I think if you can walk a mile in somebody else's shoes for a moment, yeah. you'll begin to really see that that is a problem. And I yeah. think sometimes it's getting out of your comfort zone mm-hmm. for a moment and engaging with someone who is unlike yourself. Mm. And um, it's very easy for, and I think Ronnie used to say this, for all the black children to sit at the same lunch table mm-hmm. and for all the white children to sit at the same lunch table. Yeah. How about sitting at another lunch table for a moment? <laughs> That's good. You know? Yeah. And um, when you do that, you might hear another perspective. Right. Yeah. Right. And so um, if you go out of your way for a moment, much like Jesus did, <laughs> you right. might hear another perspective. That's right. And for a moment, it is uncomfortable. But after doing it for a while, it becomes normative, Hmm. you know, and it then becomes beautiful because that's how you build a tapestry. Yeah, that's That's how you build a tapestry. That's That's really really good. good. With the last minute or two that we have left, uh, your keynote speaker is Dr. Bernice King, uh, the daughter of Dr. Martin Luther King. Could you uh, uh, for those who've never heard her speak or don't know of her, could you talk a little bit about Dr. Uh, Bernice King and what people can expect when they hear her? Well, we're looking forward to hearing her, too. (laughs) And um, from what I have heard of her, she is the youngest of the four uh, Uh uh, children. And um, from what I've read, she uh, her dad passed away when she was only five years old. So she barely knew her dad. But from what I've heard, uh, when you hear her speak, her cadence and her tenor is much like her father. Is that right? Yeah, much like her yeah. father. And her siblings tend to refer to her as the one who uh, speaks her mind. <laughs> <laughs> speaks her mind. And so she has a lot of great sermons, a lot of great speech- speeches. And she uh, says in her own words that she really didn't begin to read her own father's sermons or listen to them till she was in her 20s. Is that right? Yeah. Mm. So she graduated from um, the Divinity School in Atlanta um, and um, really began um, speaking. I think she gave her first sermon when she was 17 years old. Wow. And so she has a lot of um, great words of wisdom. And uh, we're really looking forward to hearing her. And Absolutely. we think she's going to be a dynamite speaker for us uh, next week. So please come out and uh, participate with us. That's, That's awesome. great. Again, you can do that. Uh, Bernice uh, King will be speaking on Wednesday, February the 5th in Edmond Chapel on the campus of Wheaton College. Uh, at 6.30 p.m. Uh, and then there's all sorts of other things going on during the course of that week for the Rodney Cisco Symposium. Uh, we would encourage you uh, to be a part of it. And remember, the website you can go to is uh, rodneysiscosymposium.org. That's rodneysiscosymposium.org. Uh, Hassana and Brad, thank you so much for joining us, and we really hope that this uh, this event goes great this weekend uh, in, in the middle of February here. Yeah. Thank you so thank much. You. Absolutely. Well, you're listening to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Well, that music can only mean one thing, and it means that it is not just the end of the show, but it is just the crazy stories that our executive producer, Keith Conrad, has found on the interwebs. 
what's our disclaimer? We have not read these. We have we not. We did not choose these. We will not be held accountable for these, <laughs> even though the name of our uh, our names are on the show. <laughs> yeah, we have not actually found that to be true. <laughs> no, we have not. No, we have not. And so uh, I don't think since you had guessed last week, I don't think you did these. So, so nope. it's been a while. They yeah. probably got just the worst of the worst waiting for us. There, so. <laughs> Is that how you think it went? They I compiled do. the very worst from last week. I do. So why don't you go? All right. Starting in North Carolina, KFC employee rams into restaurant with SUV because he was unhappy with paycheck. Huh. That probably didn't help. A North Carolina KFC employee sought revenge quickly after leaving his workplace with less than he was expecting. WNCT reports the employee was angered after he didn't receive the pay which he felt entitled to, according to officials. Police were called to the restaurant after the upset employee uh, rammed his Ford Expedition. I was hoping it was a Dodge Ram. (laughs) Into the drive-thru area of the restaurant. Officials say code enforcement will inspect the restaurant to see if they continue to operate. What's the matter, Colonel Sanders? (laughs) Chicken? (laughs) I'm wondering what, like... What did he think that he was getting? Like, did they know. not discuss what how he, wages were? He rams into it and he's like, oh, they're like, oh, yeah, no, no, we do owe you more money. Yes. Oh, our bad, but now we have to take it out to fix the building. So this will be a whole other segment another day. But sure. my daughter just started working and got her first paycheck the other day oh. and immediately came home complaining about taxes. Oh, I, I said, don't blame her. Welcome to my... She goes, $20? They didn't do anything. I said, here you go, sweetie. <laughs> also welcome to Illinois. There you go. <laughs> uh, next one's out of Vermont. Vermont bill would allow emojis on state-issued license plates. Oh, no. A bill seeking to create a new vanity license plate featuring emojis was introduced to the state's House Committee of Transportation on Wednesday. Uh, state Rep. Rebecca White introduced a bill which would allow drivers to add one of six available emojis to their license plate. The symbols would be added in addition to the plate's registration number and would not replace any letters or numbers assigned by the Commissioner of Motor Vehicles. As long as they're appropriate, I'm all for it, Mary Jo Rolden <laughs> said. The bill does not state which emojis drivers would be able to choose from, as there are now 3,019 recognized emojis at the time of the bill's introduction. What? Who are you texting 50 times a day? IDK, my BFF job. 3,019 recognized emojis? Do you know recognizing that? them? Yeah. <laughs> There's some sort of board. The panel that recognizes <laughs> that, that is now an official emoji. And I think probably their docket is written only in emojis. That would, that would be, <laughs> what emoji would you put on your license plate? The thumbs up. The thumbs up. Thumbs up. Boring. You'd go poop emoji. I know. I didn't say it, but you're not wrong. Uh, (laughs) Norway. (laughs) Woman is saved from Norwegian wilderness by setting up a Tinder account to find a man to rescue her when her camper van got stuck. I hope this doesn't end poorly. (laughs) A German woman used Tinder in an ingenious way to get her and her friends out of a sticky situation in the Norwegian winter wilderness. Professional kite surfer. Hold on. Oh, right there. Professional kite surfer. Yeah, do not uh, do not bury the lead on this story, right and, there. Yeah, and self-described adventurer Lania Hager was traveling in a camper van with two friends in the remote Nordcap area on the northernmost tip of Norway when ice made their journey treacherous and the roads became completely impassable for them. The trio were terrified. Their car would slide down the mountain or collide with another motorist with emergency services unable to reach the remote location quickly. Lania said, while sitting in our camper with the fear that every second the car could slide down the mountain or a car could crash into our camper due to the slippery road, Phil had the weird but actually genius idea to create a Tinder account. When she had set up the Tinder profile, she was contacted by a bearded local within minutes. The Tinder match, <laughs> Stian Luliton, pulled up with a mechanical digger and helped cut, safe, uh, helped cut a safe path in the ice. Roads closed, pipes frozen, albino 
goes virtually invisible. The Weather Service has upgraded Springfield's blizzard from Winter Wonderland to a Class 3 kill storm. I don't like the sound of that Class 3. Oh, albinos virtually invisible. Do we give the disclaimer today? Not on us. Keith, yeah, that's Keith's all Keith of, Conrad. Keith is very proud of himself on the glass. Of yeah, not, a, not an ounce of remorse from him. No, sir. Canada, a <laughs> uh, horrible passenger uses airplane vent to dry shoes. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm not going to read the first line. Of read it. The Mile Dry Club. I'm, you shouldn't have read that. An identified traveler <laughs> turned an airplane vent into their personal dryer Gross. in a viral video that has the internet disgusted. The clip shows a passenger holding their presumably wet sneaker. Oh, that's going to smell so bad. Up to their overhead air. Oh, the overhead one. They're just reaching <laughs> up uh, to dry them out. Posted to the Instagram account, Passenger Shaming. The, I need to follow that one. The revolting video has amassed more than 333,000 views from naysayers on Instagram. It's unknown on which airline the barbaric incident occurred. <laughs> uh, captured on video by Canadian professional wakeboarder. <laughs> professional wakeboarder. Who are these people? Dylan Miller. Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. <laughs> and don't call me Shirley. Did you call this uh, Soul Plane? <laughs> so, don't encourage me. That was terrible. Bad, that bad, was real bad. bad. All right, last but not least, South Carolina. Canine bites cow. Deputy deputy tases canine. Cow kicks deputy. <laughs> Brian, you laughed before I finished the headline. That was good. Cow kicks deputy. <laughs> a deputy in Georgetown County, South Carolina, was forced to use a taser on his own canine on Wednesday afternoon. According to the Georgetown County Sheriff's Office, a deputy responded to the scene of a reported burglary around 4 p.m., a cow near the scene distracted the dog, which led to the dog biting the cow. To de-escalate the situation, the deputy tased the dog. The cow was spooked and struck the deputy and the property owner, resulting in minor injuries, according to GCSO. Don't kid yourself, Jimmy. If a cow ever got the <laughs> yeah. chance, he'd eat you and yeah. everyone you care about. That's right. That's that's about right. Yeah, we knew that one was coming. That, that's really funny. That felt like a math equation. <laughs> All the way around. If a cow kicks a deputy <laughs> 60 miles away on a train, how soon between... Yeah, I can't. I can't. When do you tase the dog? So. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, it's good to be Classic. back, man. It's good to be back together. Uh, first show is in the books. Join us tomorrow from 4 to 6. For Ian Simpkins, I'm Brian Fromm. You're listening to The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life.